Let us pray. God of grace, will you join us now and meet us in this short time as we have a chance to listen and be shaped in some way by what your word is saying to us. Whether we come at it with great skepticism or doubt or all kinds of barriers put up between ourselves and you, maybe ones that we don't even intentionally put up or maybe ones that we do, or whether we come very, very open because of circumstances in our life that have cracked us open in a way uh, that we haven't been in a long time. Uh, will you, no matter where we are, will you with your gracious, loving kindness, would you approach us and teach us through your grace in a way that our lives might be changed? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know the part of the news and review, uh, the Sacramento News and Review, that's called Street Talk? Anybody seen this where they go on and they find people and ask them these questions and you get to see six answers and the faces of the people uh, you know, these answers are coming from. So I found this one several months ago. What's your zombie apocalypse contingency plan? <laughs> How do they find six people to answer that? I'm so James says, first I would buy a leather coat that lasts forever. Hacking, hacking zombies until the end. It would also be a good excuse to not pay my student loans. <laughs> my advice for everyone else would be to go into a two-story building and demolish the first floor. Zombies cannot climb stairs. Of course. Um, Enrique says, get as many people together in a rented building and make a plan to destroy the zombies with extreme prejudice. I would take my iPhone because it can be used to communicate better with uh, other survivors who might need help. Um, Taylor, it's a very creative answer, Taylor says, my plan would be to develop some type of zombie blocker or repellent to keep them away. I would have changes done to my blood, of course, <laughs> right? So, so the zombies could not smell me. Uh, I would have meat or bait to throw the zombies off my track using trucks full of guns and explosives to fight them. Uh, of course, again, a zombie bite detector would also be helpful. Yeah, whatever. And then um, Andrew is my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite answer. Andrew says, I am a pretty cool person, which isn't that a great way to start your answer to any, qu <laughs> any question? I'm going to do that from now on. Someone asked me something. I'm a very cool person. Let <laughs> me I'm a very cool person, so I would make friends with a few zombies, handing them copies of the News and Review so, so they could find the closest cannabis club. And he says, weed has a good way of mellowing people out and bringing them together. So, which, if you know the, the magazine, it's become filled with cannabis uh, advertisements. I think even you can, after you read it, you can roll it up and smoke it, I think. It's, that's how much it's become geared towards... All right, so obviously my sermon is going to be about zombies and weed. Um, no, it's about meeting Jesus, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm in very intrigued with how people have answers for a question like that out of the blue. Um, it's just what people can answer, what they know about. They have this part of their brain that says, oh, yeah, zombies, I have a whole set of data about that that I'm going to apply to this question. Um, whereas we find ourselves in this series about meeting Jesus, and I think a lot of us a lot of the time end up saying, I don't know. You know, someone says, what do you know about Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I, I don't know. I don't know what I know. 
Um, and today, today's passage particularly, when it comes to meeting Jesus, is dealing with getting to a point. How do you get to a point of saying, now I know? Have you gotten to that point? Now I know something. Or now I know Jesus somehow. And the three things I want to focus on um, are actually three, three things you have to do, really, if you want to know Jesus. Three things you have to deal with. It includes dealing with your barriers. Dealing with your barriers. It involves dealing with Jesus on his terms and dealing with community. Dealing with your barriers, with his terms, and with community. So let's look at barriers. Um, when we, when we uh, think about our barriers between us and God or us and knowing Jesus, a lot of times they come down to our presuppositions, the things we've predetermined, the limits we've set on things in our relationship with God, what we assume about the relationship, what we assume about Jesus. Jesus is, goes to his hometown, and he's in church. You know, this is what we get when we meet Jesus in church. His hometown, they've got all these presuppositions about him. They're positive about him, but you can see that they've got ideas about who he comes for, why he comes, and what he'll do for them. What, what will Jesus do for me if I really meet him? And, and the truth is that very, um, it is very rare that any of us are ever in a place where we truly allow Jesus to define what it's going to mean to meet him. I mean, just think about it. It's very rare that we're truly wide open in terms of what it means to encounter and to know Jesus. And so they've got a definition about the poor. Jesus quotes Isaiah, and he says um, that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then he talks about prisoners and the blind and the oppressed. And what does his hometown do? But when they... They hear this, this prophecy, it, it's as if they assume they've put themselves into that prophecy and they've said, well, the time is here, big things are going to happen, um, and it's, it's for us, you know, poor, poor old us. They assume, they put themselves right into it and they say, that's us, poor old us, you know, we're the Israelites and we're not in political power and, and we're God's favored people and we're sort of the underdogs culturally in the Middle East. And so, surely, Jesus has come for us because we deserve something as as israelites and now when jesus doesn't allow them to stay there when he redefines their you know they've got their presupposition when he comes in and redefines in verse 27 um he's kind of comes to a close of redefining that they want to take him to a cliff i mean they are no way as soon as he as soon as he says um oh no 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 your presuppositions are off um he's really stepped into something because it's a barrier to them really knowing him. What Jesus ends up saying is that the poor and the oppressed that he's talking about and that God is coming for are much more like these, these figures from, from their own scriptures that they really weren't very eager to be cast alongside of. They're, they're not very eager to put themselves alongside of this widow and this, this um, foreign commander na named Naaman. These are people who, on, I mean, we could go back and go through it all, but I'll just be brief and say these are people that if you go back and look at these stories and you see who these people were, they were people far outside the realm of God's blessing. They worshipped idols. Naaman was a murderer. Um, the widow at Zarephath was an idolater. They're, you know, they're, in a sense, to the people of Israel, these are heretics. These are people outside of the worship of the right God. And Jesus says, the poor and the oppressed, the, these are the unworthy people that I come for. They're outcasts, and 
Jesus' hometown says, no, 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 no. That's not our definition of who you come for. So, first of all, there's that presupposition. There's another one in that they've limited who they think Jesus is. They've put Jesus in a box. They've defined Jesus a certain way. And this is a very colorful little thing that that Luke puts into this story where he says uh, in verse 22, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. So, alongside of all the positive things they're saying about him, Luke is careful to let us know that there also is the voice of reason, the voice of uh, moderation that says, as great as Jesus might become, let's always keep in mind, we know his father, um, he's still just Joseph's son. And if you were here last week, which, now that I think of it, wasn't very many of you, it was New Year's Day, and um, we did what we always do when the crowd is low, is we gave everyone who came $100, so sorry. (laughs) You know, you missed out, most of you, that you weren't here. Um, but if you were here, you'd catch why this would set Jesus off, right? Because he does seem to all of a sudden launch into a whole new uh, kind of arena with his teaching at this comment about you are Joseph's son. Well, what was last week? What we talked about how Jesus already when he was 12 years old, he said, basically, I'm no longer Joseph's son. I'm the unique son of God. I have this whole other identity that supersedes and that uh, undergirds my whole story from here on out. And then they're kind of just saying, no, still Joseph's son. You're just, just Joseph's son. So they've got Jesus in a box. And I think that one of the questions, I mean, we, we wonder, why did this story end up with them so mad and driving Jesus to a cliff? It's because of their presuppositions, because of how they, they imagined who Jesus needed to be for them, and they were off. They were wrong. You think about us, and what are our presuppositions we bring? What, what are yours as you imagine meeting, knowing Jesus? What is it going to mean to know Jesus? Well, what are your presuppositions? And on the positive sides, side it might be that Jesus is for you he's he's always and forever going to be a really good teacher you know this is similar to he's he's still Joseph's son you know he's let's keep him in that box he's a really good teacher maybe totally different maybe for you another positive kind of way of looking at Jesus is to say if I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus it always has to result in me feeling good about myself We've got all, I don't know, do you have something like that, some, some sense of Jesus that if you really look under the surface, it's there. Sometimes there's negative ones like reasons why you've, you've got the walls up against Jesus. You know, Jesus must, there must be an equal sign between Jesus and all the things you've seen about um, from church people and from Jesus people and from Christians that, that you don't like. And so you've kind of written the whole thing. You can't get to know Jesus because you've equated him with, with the things done in his name. Um, you know, maybe it's just that Jesus is, talks about himself as the son of God, the father, and you're tired of all the, this man talk when it comes to God and faith, and it just kind of is a turnoff for you because you say, for me, I, you know, men haven't been that good for me in my life, and I can't just walk into this whole, you know, man-centered environment. Whatever, what, are, what is your thing? What is your barrier that is right? Just, it's just right there, and Jesus is not allowed, really, when it comes down to it, he's not allowed to cross it. If you, you, know, if you think about that, I, I like what Augustine says on page four. We have his quote in here. Uh, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. <laughs> Isn't that poignant? Isn't that so true? That's what we're getting at, is that you, know, you might be in a place today where you feel a... A, a disconnect from God. You feel very far from God. 
And the truth is, is that the reason for that might have much less to do with who God is and who Jesus really is, and, and it might have everything to do with how you've framed Jesus in your mind and how you've approached it. You know, have you ever stopped and just wondered, Jesus might be astonishingly different than I've assumed that he is? Are you willing to go there? Jesus' hometown wasn't willing to go there, and so they, you know, they end up driving him to the edge of a cliff. So the first thing is push through your barriers. You want to know Jesus? You want to come to a point of saying, someone asks you, do you know him? You say, now I know. Push through the barriers that are there, but also deal with Jesus on his own terms. Deal with Jesus on his own terms. So when you're re- if you're looking at this, you can see that Jesus turns a corner at verse 23. And I think what Jesus knows is he's not getting through to them, that this crowd really doesn't truly know him. They're not knowing him because, why? Because they're, they're much too positive about him. <laughs> you know, how, do, how do you know that, uh, that in, when it comes to Jesus that people aren't really seeing the real him? It's because everybody's hunky-dory, everybody's happy, nobody's been offended yet. And so you see in, in verse 15 and verse 22, everyone's, you know, mostly just, except for the Joseph son comment, everybody's positive, everybody's speaking well of him, everybody's happy. And um, their acceptance, though, is conditional. It's on their own terms. As soon as Jesus kind of brings forward his terms, then things get dicey, then things get tricky. Let's, let's think about two of the terms, really, that come out of this story that are Jesus' terms. What are his terms? What does it mean to get to know Jesus on his terms? The first is that you can't be, if you really want to know Jesus, you can't be spiritually middle class. What do I, what do I mean by that? Well, Naaman... And the widow, the ones he references from the uh, ancient scriptures, Naaman and the widow, they are spiritually poor. They come, eventually in those stories, they both acknowledge their need. They're humble, they're coming, saying, I don't have all the answers, I need help. But Jesus' hometown is is coming, they're not spiritually poor, they're spiritually middle class. They're, They're operating with a veneer of religiosity and respectability. And like anybody who's spiritually middle class, underneath there is actually a hostility to God really being involved in a real way in your life. If you're in this place, if you're, this, is a, this is why it's interesting to meet Jesus in the church. Because with church people, you have people who are operating spiritually middle class. And you know it when, okay, so you can look at yourself and say, no, I'm, a pr- I'm, I'm, doing, quite, I'm doing okay. There's, there's several things going on here that are fine. I'm, my intentions are in the right place. You know, I'm, I'm good to my mother, you know, I, I'm good to my neighbor, I volunteer, I go to church. And you can assure yourself, but underneath the surface, as soon as, as soon, here's the deal, is that when you're in this realm, God is in your debt. God owes you because of those things you can assure yourself of. And as soon as God stops acting like he's in your debt, you go through the roof, right? You, if... You know you're spiritually uh, middle class if, if you bring anger into the church and into the God kind of spheres of life. And maybe you don't even know why. Because you can operate with this veneer of, of, of respectability and of religiosity underneath the surface. You don't really want God involved. It's a way of, think about it this way, it's a way of rebelling from God through obedience. <laughs> uh, how did Flannery O'Connor uh, described one of her characters in her story like this. Um, he knew that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sinning. 
<laughs> and that, you know, that might describe you. Through, you know, you're, you're running away from God through obedience. You're, you're sure that he'll never really have to deal with you if you can hold things together. Um, okay, so the first thing you can't be, if you're going to get to know, know God on his terms, is you can't just remain spiritually middle class. And the second thing, it's a little tougher, the second thing is that you must embrace, to some degree, your outcast status. You must embrace your outcast status. Now, that sounds terrible. I know. So what do I mean by it? Um, think about it this way. Is there some way in your life that you, you find yourself, if you, I mean, dig deep here. If you look at things, is there some way that you're running away from feeling in any way unworthy? That there are things in your life that you, there's a lot of little red flags that point to the fact that you're, you're running away from feeling unworthy or outcast or unacceptable or rejected. Maybe in a formative time of your life you experienced rejection teasing or what have you or there was a group that you wanted to be in or you felt like you were in in some phase of your life but you weren't allowed to um, maybe your parents have always held out love based on your performance and so you just set your sights on you say if it's going to kill me I'm going to measure up so that they finally show me their love you're running away from feeling unacceptable. Maybe you grew up not having very much and you, you just hated how that felt, measuring yourself up against other people. And you say, I'm never going to be there again. I'm, and my children will never grow up like that if I have them. I'm going to do whatever I can to run away from that feeling. Is there some way in which you connect with that? If, if, if you're digging deep and if you're finding some way in which you're running away from your outcast status, you might actually... If you're, if you're kind of following me there and getting into that arena, you might be really close to knowing Jesus. You might be really close to having the penny finally drop for you. And he, but it's not easy because what you basically have to do is say, I'm going about things all wrong. I'm going about things all wrong. And I shouldn't be running away from that. Here's, here's basically what the gospel leads you to do, what, what getting to know Jesus and the good news of Jesus leads you to do. First of all, that in some sense, we need to grapple with the legitimacy of you being in some way unworthy or unacceptable. You need to dig deep and realize that even under your best actions, even under your best good deeds, that there's motivations that are selfish. Um, in some way, basically the gospel drives you to do this. If you really want to get to know it, stop running away from your outcast status and in some way see some truth in it. In some way see some truth in your unworthiness. That if God is to ever look at your performance record spiritually, that he has every right to view you as someone to be cast out, someone to be rejected, someone who is unworthy to be in a relationship with him. Now that's, you can see why we run away from that. That's, that doesn't feel very, um, you know, psychologically speaking, it's not a mantra that you, you know, think you're going to start your day with, right? <laughs> Which, by the way, a side note, the latest uh, trend in psychology is to actually realize the negative effect of telling yourself these positive messages, these mantras, and actually they d it just doesn't work. So why not, why not try this? <laughs> I mean, try okay, but seriously... So, so when you get to that point, if you're finally there, if you're in this arena and you're finally at a point where you say, you know what, there is some truth to this, spiritually speaking, then you're ready for the other half of the gospel, which is that God 
is to realize that God has made sure, he has saved you from being, even though you're, you, you deserve it, he's saved you from being outcast. He saved you from being the unworthy person you deserve to be. He saved you from being rejected, ostracized, left out of the group. And he's done it by G- his son Jesus being rejected. Jesus being outcast. Jesus being driven to the brow of a cliff on the edge of town. That's how Jesus, that's how God relentlessly pursues you and treasures you so that you might someday treasure him. Jesus is driven to the brow of a cliff in this story, but it's a part of a thread in the narrative that ends the same way in all the Gospels as you read them with Jesus going to the cross, and he's going there in your place. He's experiencing rejection. He's experiencing um, being unworthy, and he's doing it so that you're saved from it. Now, when you, when you see that, then you realize how big of a waste of time it is to run away from your outcast status, to spend your life trying to, no, 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 this isn't going to be true about me. I'm going to make another kind of identity for myself. And every step you make in that direction just puts, you, puts more distance between you and God until you turn around and just stare it straight in the face and say, there's some truth there. Then finally you'll see. Then, you know what, if, if you embrace your spiritual poverty, finally you might actually see the value of God's riches that he's given you. And you might come to say, um, you know what, even my most righteous deeds are like filthy rags. But God has dressed me with his robe. He's put a ring on my finger and he's throwing a feast in my honor. That's eventually the treasure you might come to know if you can get to the point of embracing your outcast status. This is how, um, in the worship guide again, this quote by Daryl Bach. This is why this is in there. Um, He's a professor of New Testament studies. The point of Jesus' imagery is that those who sense need and who have basic human needs are more likely to hear the message. Jesus cannot heal those who feel they are not in need, for they are happy with their position and condition in life. Is that you? And stop running. Stop running. Okay, so, and lastly, this, I love this, this reality in this passage, is that you also need, if you want to know Jesus, you need to deal with community. The two examples that Jesus brings up as the people that he comes to are two people, and um, I already described who they were. It's the widow and Naaman. And both of them in their encounter with the prophets of Eli- Elijah and Elisha, both of them end up saying, now I know. And then they say something about God. Now I know. There comes a point in their meeting with God and with the prophet that's sent from God. Now I know. Just like we, we want to get to some point. of Now I know, Jesus. Now I know something. How, how does Naaman get there? I find Naaman particularly interesting. Because the only way he gets there is with community. The only way he gets there is in community. And I wonder if the same is true for a lot of us. Naaman, he finds out he has leprosy and he's coming in, in hopes of buying with his, um, basically with his status and with all of his cash. He's wanting to buy healing from this prophet of Israel. So when the prophet tells him to go wash himself seven times in the dirty old Jordan River, this respectable commander of an army says, no, 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 no. And he basically says, you know, all the waters in my land are, are so wonderful and holy and you want me to go wash in your dirty backwaters, forget it, I'm much too above this, this method of healing. Um, 
And, he, and, he, and he's fuming and he's mad and he's walking back and he's, he's going away and all his servants, it's only because of his humble servants, we don't even know their names, the only community he has in this moment. And they know him and they, I assume, they love him and they want to see him healed because he's miserable. And they begin to, they have the knowledge of his story and the, of his personality so that they can with tact kind of nudge him and they bring a little logic to the situation. They say, come on, you would have done great things if he would have asked you. All he asked you to go in this river over here. I mean, what, what, why miss this chance, you know? And they lovingly, caringly talk to him in a way that eventually the only reason he comes back and knows anything about God in the end is because of those servants. They talk him into it lovingly and with tact. And I wonder if some of us find ourselves in relationships like that. The only way, maybe, maybe you're, I mean, you can be on either side, but maybe you're on the Naaman side, and the only, you know, the reason you feel distant from God, maybe it's just because you're so distant from God's people, from community, from others who are journeying like you, and you say, why do I keep feeling so, like, over here? Shouldn't I feel closer to God? Maybe, maybe you just haven't woven your life together with people who at the right time, with, with love and grace, know your story, can help you. And, and point you in directions you just can't see because of whatever, maybe anger, maybe just like Naaman. Or maybe you're on the other side of things and you just need to know, okay, you've hit this point where I know God or I know Jesus and I'm in some kind of confident faith place. Maybe you need to know as you sit there and maybe you wonder, uh, nothing's going on. God seemed real at one time, but now what and what's going to happen? Um, maybe God is putting you in alongside relationships where he is working or he is about to work and he's putting you there so that um, you can be the, Im- the important one. It'll all happen behind the scenes and in subtle little ways, but that you'll know someone's story enough that and lovingly enough be able to bring the kind of tact and grace because you so desperately want to see someone in your life healed as well. And you'll be just that tiny little step in that person's journey that helps bring them to actually say, ah, now I know. Now I know God. He used these servants. We don't even know their names. So that, that's it. Those are the, that's the three things. How do you know? How do you come to that moment of I know Jesus? Push through your barriers. Deal with Jesus on his own terms. And deal with community. Let us pray. God, I pray that you help us um, in all things that you may be leading us to do or to um, you may be wanting us to do. I pray that you through your Holy Spirit, would be so um, present in this community and in our journeys that we would have strength to do what we're unable to do, to love those that we wish we could love, um, to have the faith and trust in circumstances that we haven't had the faith or trust, um, to do hard things that we know we need to do, um, but we just don't seem to have the resources to do it. Would you help us through your Holy Spirit to be who you made us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.